All right, so I, I pitched. I just pitched Brandon on starting this episode off with a little brain teaser. So maybe maybe this will be how we how we get everybody in every episode. But um, it's actually probably just, a, just not a bad idea. Actually, <laughs> this just happened organically. But I watched I watched today's podcast movie mm-hmm. earlier this week, which is a History of Violence. And then I put another movie on. It was recommended when I finished History of Violence. It was recommended like, oh, you might like this. And I was like, actually, I do. I love that movie. We've covered it on the podcast before. So I put it on uh-huh. while I was writing the script. And then that night I had planned to watch Bo is Afraid because I'm trying to catch up on movies that I missed in 2023. Mm-hmm. So as Bo's Afraid was starting and the credits were rolling, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize I did a little uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon to myself in that the movie that I put on in the middle was a perfect connection bridge between these mm-hmm. two movies. It had one of the actors from A History of Violence was in it and one of the actors from Bo is Afraid was in it. So I, I posed that to to Brandon as to what what the movie would be in between. If you're in your car, you know, hit pause real quick and see if you can come up with it. <laughs> no no IMDb but Yeah, the issue the issue is I haven't seen Bo's Afraid. Um yeah, which is surprising. I don't know why. Which I did when I Googled, I was like, Oh, I wonder if there are any other connections here. And I did see that that Joaquin and Vigo Mortensen have both signed on to Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, so there, that, oh. that will be uh, that will be a connection okay. in a, in, a, in a few years. But um, but for now, that's not that's not the connection. Okay, it's not Parker Posey. It's not Parker Posey. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm I'm kind of probably cheating a little bit. I'm going through Wikipedia pages to see the cast. I feel like I feel like the the movie that's in the middle is one that. Many people forget both of these people were in. Okay. Um, is it Patty Lapone? Is she the one? Is she the it one? Is, it is Patty Lapone. Okay, I don't know many Patty Lapone movies. So is let, it let the me... comedian with? Uh, uh, legitimately, I thought comedian. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> That's a running joke. Sometimes it's like, it's like, well, De Niro's got to make the comedian too. We got to get that coming out like that is is that scorsese's like latinx movie is the comedian too i didn't realize that pay was in 1941 which is which i didn't realize surprising oh is it witness it is it is witness patty lapone is is yeah, who, um, who is she in witness john book's sister oh okay She's like one he scene like goes, is like, is it yeah, one? he like goes over to her house to like, I think she's, I think he's is on she, the phone with her at the very beginning. Okay. And then he like is she, goes is over she, to her is house she watch, to hide Is out. she watching? Yeah. Is she watching Kelly McGillis? Is that what? Okay. Yeah. 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 They take her over there. And, and um, it's funny, that first night. We just talked about witness briefly on Goodfellas because Scorsese was up to direct it. It was. Yeah. And it's, it's Vigo's Vigo Mortensen's first movie. Vigo's first movie. Yep. Yep. And a great Peter Weir, Peter Weir film, Peter Weir, his, which I, his first I spent, American I spent film. last weekend in the uh, in the town from. The, oh yeah, you did. The show. You did. How did you know you were going to do that beforehand, or it just was a happy? Uh, a friend act? of mine, a friend at work, told me he had been down that way before. I think it's it's like Panhandle, Florida, which I had never okay. been to before. Okay. But um, I think a lot of Atlantans go there for like the summer. Yeah. And so he had been down and he was like, oh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the Truman Show town. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, that's where they shot Truman Show. And um, and so I was there for a wedding, but my wife was in the wedding. So I like Saturday, you know, she was gone all day getting ready. And I was like, I got the whole day to myself. And I was like, well, let me pull up and see where the Truman house is and see if I can walk there. And it was literally a block away from my hotel. <laughs> um, 
Well, like, so and, I walked and, there. And, and you sent pictures, and like it feels like nothing's changed. It's yeah, 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 yeah. There's, it's. I can't tell when the town was established, but I think it was fairly new when they shot there. Yeah. But like the only thing that's changed is like trees have grown. But like when you're yeah. on like the street where Truman's house is, you're like, oh, there's like palm trees now that that weren't there weren't before. There before but, yeah. um But yeah, I think it was definitely like the a, a town that was like it was like a resort town that was just entirely put together in like the late '80s, which is why yeah. it feels very surreal and kind of manufactured in the Truman show. Cause it was still pretty new at that point. Yeah. Let's see. Where was it? Seaside, Florida, Seaside, Florida, yeah. Yeah. a master plan community. Uh, it looks like since the final plan was complete in 1985, but had been talked about since 1946. Like a family who owned the land wanted to build uh, like a that like a like a, a small town vibe on it, and what's like crazy is like you can never shoot anything else there again. Probably, yeah. you know what I mean? Because no. it's like that town is yeah like, they haven't yeah they have not changed the, the the little town center like where his office is. Oh, the only thing that's changed is so there's like a big town circle. And the post office, when they shot the Truman Show, the post office was in, like, the middle of the town circle. Yeah. And they've since kind of dug that out and turned it to, like, an amphitheater type space. Oh, and moved. interesting. The post office is, like, on the like on the outside, on the perimeter of the circle now. But it's, like, the same post office. They just picked it up and moved it. But, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, can you shoot in the town from somewhere in time again? Like, that's... <laughs> Mackinac. Mackinac. Have you, did you, did you say you've been there or you just knew about it? No, I've been there. It's okay. a Mac- it's it's spelled Mackinac. It's pronounced Mackinac. But um, I yeah yeah I've been we my family went just because my dad. I mean we we wanted to go anyway, but my dad loves somewhere in time, so I think that's partly what inspired uh, us going. But me, me and your dad yeah, in, the same, in the same boat on that one. We, <laughs> both, we, he probably likes it more than I do, but I like somewhere in time a lot. Um, well, speaking of uh, small town America. Oh yeah, to, uh, that's a good segue. Talk about <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, before we dive in that, uh, I'm Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. And this is the Nation Podcast. And this month we've been talking about mobster, mafia movies, uh, gangster-esque type films. Um, and we've talked about Scarface and Goodfellas so far. But Tom, what, what have we kind of covered in terms of like the stories, the characters, the tropes, all that? What have we kind of discussed this month so far? Well, we talked about how American mafia filmmaking in general has to kind of tread this line between glorifying and, and punishing uh this lifestyle which in italian cinema does not have this problem they they yeah. just don't like they don't care for the mafia there it's a nuisance and 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 you you won't see these movies that like oh it's so great to be a gangster yeah um but in america it, it does have this kind of romanticized part of it it's it's and so with something like goodfellas they of course as he shows you the good sides of it before then kind of pulling the rug out from under mm-hmm. your feet and being like this this is the price that you pay and 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 scarface does the same thing although you know like we said i think scarface is probably one of the most misread texts film texts of, yeah. of the the modern era it's probably up there with fight club as you know for all the people who have uh tony montana posters and yeah. especially the way it kind of uh it, it became hugely popular in, in hip-hop culture for a very long time um so it, it it is this kind of balance that a filmmaker has to make between like how much am i going to glamorize this versus how much am i going to show of the downfall how am i going to 
how am I going to show the it's it's not necessarily like a tisk tisk yeah but uh but more of like a you know they they all do have this kind of crime doesn't pay yeah there's some come up it's come up it's do it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah whether it's like everything crumbling like he does in Goodfellas or you know that what do you gain at the price of your soul like something mm-hmm. like like Scarface or we'll see with the Godfather films yeah uh the, the, there's always there's always some sort of downside yeah well it's like we talk about scarface it's like with scarface with tony's there's never it's never enough there's nothing that's mm-hmm. like no matter what he gets it's like he's always he always ends up alone by the end of it it's like mm-hmm. he has everything but he has nothing um and so these movies a lot of them very much examine the american dream I mean, scarface is very deliberate with that kind of like with with the relationship with with tony and his mom how his mom is like i'm doing the american dream i'm working hard but I'm barely paying my bills. I'm living in a small house, but I'm following the rules and I'm being a good American. And Tony's like, well, there are no rules. That's how people who make money make money because they don't follow them. It's all corruption. Mm-hmm. So why do I need to follow that? I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and that's, that's the real American dream is, mm-hmm. is the, 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 is the capitalism mentality of uh, I need to get mine. So you don't get yours. Um, and Goodfellas follows that to some extent. Uh, also, a lot of these movies will go with like the they'll they'll dive into like paranoia of mm-hmm. someone's coming after me in some way. It's they're coming from my spot because uh, I came after I I got this spot somehow. Someone's gonna do someone's gonna be just like me, just as ambitious ambitious as me to come and get me. And the idea of excess, how there's always both these movies with both Scarface and with uh, Goodfellas, and today also will will a little bit with this is this idea of like traitors and informants within the family and mm-hmm. and that you can't really want you can't really come back from that once you do that you're kind of you become an enemy of the family and and with the, these type of movies is that once you're in there's really no way to get out uh mm-hmm. it's always going to haunt you and i think all that stuff with that what's interesting about today, today's movie what's not the the go-to choice with this genre I think the movie fits with all those in some way. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So what? So what is today's movie, Thomas? Today's movie, like I said, is a history of violence, which was released in 2005, and it's about a beloved small town patriarch who kills two men who are attempting to rob his diner. Mm-hmm. When he does, gangsters show up in town, claiming to know him from his past life as a mafia hitman. It stars Viggo Mortensen, Maria Bello, Ed Harris, and William Hurt, and it was directed by. The legendary David Cronenberg from a script by Josh Olson, shot by Peter Sosjiski, mm-hmm. and scored by Howard Shore. So this was this was my pick for this month. Yeah. But Brandon, what's your what's your background with I, I, history of violence? I don't have much history history with history of violence. Uh, <laughs> it's one I've said many times on the show before. Like I watched probably in high school or college. I might have watched when I came out here because Cronenberg was not really as we discussed when we did our David Cronenberg episode go check it out i think that was from october 2022 we Mm -hmm. did we did body horror month and we covered that one um and is that 2022 or 2021 but it was body horror month and that was our big he's he's the king of body horror and today um and cronenberg was one when we did that episode i i I watched eastern promises but i didn't Mm. go back and watch history of violence because i was just like I'm trying I'd seen it before. I knew kind of the um the story of it. So I didn't feel like I needed to rewatch it. And and also, again, 
with a director like that were doing that in a one week time period. And he had like 20 movies and I was trying to watch as much as possible. And so I didn't get back to yeah. watching that one. Um, so I, I, it was one of the earliest Cronenbergs I saw. I was actually funny enough talking about this a few nights ago. I think my last night, and I think the first Cronenberg film I ever saw, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, uh, was A Dangerous Method. With oh, Kieran. yeah. That was my first one. So, like, I, I was introduced to him in, in a body horror way. I was introduced to him, like, kind of in the in the Vigo movies with, with mm-hmm. this and with Dangerous Method. So it's interesting coming back now and viewing a history of violence after watching so much Cronenberg and mm-hmm. seeing how much it still fits within his filmography even though it's not a body horror movie exactly, but there's like, you can tell it's the same director with the, Mm. with the style with, it almost feels like it could turn into a horror movie in a way in moments. Mm. Um, And we'll talk more about that, but yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. It's, it's a good, it's an interesting pick for this month because it's not something you always think of, but, uh, but what's your history with the history of violence? Thomas. Yeah, I saw this one not long after it came out, um, mm. which I was probably a little young for. But I, um, I feel like I've I've had a similar story with another movie on this podcast, but I can't remember what it was. But when this came out on DVD, my parents bought it because, as we'll discuss later, it 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 was up kind of Oscar season. It was yeah. in conversation, and I remember my parents bought it and watched it without us, and they were just kind of like after they watched it, they were like, we hated that. Like we hated that movie. <laughs> I distinctly remember them like trying to give the DVD away to somebody else. And Here, take it, take it. And, but we ended it up with it in our DVD collection. And maybe like a year afterwards, I had a little like, like portable DVD player and I would watch movies at night. And like, it was, it was uh-huh. in my like, dawn of my like i think i talked about this specifically in the children of men episode but for a very long time when i was getting into film i was like into like classic films and i was like you know i had this idea that like casablanca is art but like nothing nothing that has come out like right now like and yeah like these win best picture but like i'll watch if it wins best picture i'll watch it and yeah maybe that's art but like you know not most stuff most modern movies aren't and so this was one that I remember putting on and I knew my parents hated it, but I was like, okay, well, why'd they hate this? Like other people seem to like this. What is, you know, can I make up my own mind? Yeah. Uh, so it was like very, it was, it was very pivotal in that period of like learning to think critically for myself. And I put it on and I was like, whoa, this is, this is kind of crazy. This is such an interesting approach to like I thought it was going to be an action movie. It it has Viggo Mortensen in it, but it's not an action movie. Like, what do I make of this? And so yeah. it is something that like stuck with me. And I ended up revisiting probably in college as I was getting deeper into studying film critically and being like, whoa, this is such an interesting kind of thought piece on on violence and violence in film and, and crime movies and, and all of that. And um, so, yeah, it probably was my first Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Um. F- through that, so so I wasn't even watching. So it was interesting to watch it now, after you know you and I did that deep dive into his body horror, mm-hmm. and see like you said his style, but also like the way that he's referencing his own career. And we'll talk about that as we get into um how it got made because that was a very conscious decision of him. I'm excited to hear how this got made because I I know 
very little about it. I know that like so based on a graphic novel and mm-hmm. that's kind of it. And again, it's an interesting period for Cronenberg because it's kind of when it's it's the awards heavy Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Like this and Eastern Promises. This happens with certain directors who have been around for a while where they're around for a while, have a following, they're known in the industry but may not fully go into the mainstream and then some movie comes out and it's like let's award them at least with nominations mm-hmm. for like this for, for like almost their career with Wes Anderson I think about Grand Budapest Hotel we're like that's one where like all of a sudden it's like nine nominations or whatever and then that was we really hadn't seen much from him before yeah, that. Yeah, and like then he, and then no nominations for him afterwards. Even for after makes after that, yeah, movies that might even be better than that. Yeah, um, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's get into how it got made. So, like you said, it was based on a graphic novel, which was titled "A History of Violence," that was published by Vertigo, which is the mature publishing wing of DC Comics that was founded in '93. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, for anyone who's into comics, the '90s are kind of a notorious period in comic. <laughs> Uh, writing in which everything had to be edgy like nothing could be uh nothing could be colorful nothing could be cheesy like it all had Mm -hmm. to be dark and gritty um and so it was uh kind of vertigo was was spawned as as a wing of of dc to specifically uh reach out to those tastes and they published titles like sandman preacher Mm -hmm. Uh, why the last man and fables which is very good i I actually really like fables but Mm -hmm. um history of violence was written by john wagner who was the creator of the judge dread comic books and Mm -hmm. illustrated by vince Locke. and the film rights to the graphic novel were purchased in the late 90s by bender spink which was the production company founded by producer chris bender after his breakout success producing his high school friend adam herz's script about their high school glory days titled american pie Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's wild. So for a few years, Bender Spink was kind of bringing people. You know, this is what happens in development. You'll have a couple properties. You'll bring in some new promising writers. Then you'll be like, hey, here's what we've got. Can you take a stab at this? Can you take a stab at this? Yeah. Pitch us on on how you might approach this. So writer Josh Olson was brought in for a meeting at Bender Spink after the modest success of a horror film he wrote and directed called Infested. Uh, mm. he was shown kind of, here's what we've got on the slate for Bender Spink. Do you have any thoughts of any of these? And he read a history of violence and came back to Bender Spink with a pitch of like a very different take. So in the original graphic novel, it's about a man who's hiding away in a small town, uh, after he's, he's got a, a violent kind of criminal past mm-hmm. and he has to kill two men in self-defense. And afterwards he, he makes the news mafia hitmen show up into town and it's revealed that when he was a teenager he and his friend richie stole money from the mafia and were actually caught and richie was captured but joey got away and started a life under a new name Uh but when these men come to his town he ends up finding out through them that richie has been kept alive and tortured constantly for 20 years oh god and so he decides he has to go back to new york to get revenge on the mafia and to ultimately uh perform a mercy killing on richie who's been like tortured to the brink of death that makes more sense of it being a graphic novel when you put it that way <laughs> that makes more sense 
So Olsen goes into Bender Spink and he says, I've got two major changes I want to pitch. One, what if we treat the first two acts as a mystery about Tom's past? Because in the graphic novel, it's just pretty much open. He's like, here's I'm, I'm hiding out here because I'm yeah. running from something. And what if we just completely change the third act? Because it's 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 way over the top and it it doesn't feel in line with the, the message of the rest of this. Yeah uh olsen says chris bender gave a sigh of relief in the meeting and said they had known for years that they wanted to change the ending but they hadn't been able to put their finger on it so they uh signed olsen onto the project to mm. enact his changes to it the the project was then shopped around to directors eventually landing with david cronenberg like we said the kind of the legendary canadian father of body horror yeah who had spent a lot of the 90s kind of moving away from from body horror yeah yeah extra still, sins and all yeah. that yeah. still doing some some weird stuff uh, I'd say Crash is very weird. Crash I wouldn't necessarily up there. call it body horror, but um, in, in a way, it kind of is when you think about it. It's like again, even his movies that aren't body horror, they have some to do with the body or or kind of it's it's he's so again we talked about the problem with Scarface. It, there's like weird connections of just like how they're interested in kind of the body and violence and just like the hardness of it all. Mm-hmm. So Cronenberg said he was immediately drawn in by the title and the idea of addressing the history of violence in America and in humanity while also addressing the history of violence in his own filmmaking. He was also drawn in by the possibility of working on an adaptation, noting, noting that he found making adaptations of novels by Stephen King and William S. Burroughs in the mm -hmm. 1980s to be very creatively freeing as a director. Mm -hmm. He's someone who came up writing and directing his own projects for like the entirety of the seventies. And yeah. he, he really liked uh, the process of the creative process of adaptation in the eighties. So with Cronenberg attached, it was time to find a star for the movie and the theme of the film. Cronenberg wanted someone who would be playing against type as Tom. He wanted like an action movie type that would challenge people's expectations, thinking they were going to see kind of an upbeat action movie and then deliver the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. But with a, a full, promised budget of 32 million he was told that they didn't have the money for a quote tom cruise type harrison ford was was approached another oh. another witness tie there you go right, yeah it's it's right after like firewall or something yeah. right on firewall <laughs> i saw that on a plane um thomas <laughs> add jane that, add that to your list on yeah, your yeah, yeah. <laughs> letterbox yeah uh thomas jane was in the mix which i guess um, this is this is after punisher, after punisher. punisher. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a commentary on the Punisher movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, the part went to another blockbuster star, Viggo Mortensen. Mortensen had been acting steadily through the 1990s, but had really broken out as Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings, ultimately becoming the titular character of the final installment and cementing himself as a household name. Yeah. I mean, he's he's the poster for Return of the King. He's, he yeah. is he is all of the marketing for that last movie. His first follow-up to Lord of the Rings was Joe Johnston's Hildago, which was a star vehicle. I remember, that. I remember all the pr promo for that movie. Yeah, it was really test. I mean, you can looking back on it, you're like, they were testing to see if he was a, a solo star. You know, it's yep. like, Lord of the Rings is done. Can yep. we build a movie around Viggo Mortensen and sell it? Uh it didn't it didn't perform well with critics. I think no. it's got a 48 on Rotten Tomatoes right now and it ultimately yeah. earned 140 million dollars on a 100 million dollar budget. So probably below break even for the studio but not not a bomb in any sense. No, no. 
but after Hidalgo, Mortensen turned his sights on more dramatic work, and he was definitely interested in the prospect of collaborating with Cronenberg. He remembers the script, uh, reading the script and being a little disappointed that after all of the meditation on violence, the movie still ultimately culminated in an Act 3 shootout, but Cronenberg assured him that he was working on his own uncredited rewrites and told Mortensen, you know, sign on and, and we'll definitely have something special when we get mm-hmm. there. So with Cronenberg and Mortensen attached, the smaller roles were pretty easy to fill. Ed Harris agreed to star as the villainous Carl Fogarty and William Hurt played against type as Joey's treacherous brother, Richie. I forgot how quickly like he just shows up in this movie. Mm-mm. Like he's really only in it for like 15 minutes. I've, I've got, I've got, we'll go, we'll, we'll talk numbers later. I've got okay. numbers. Okay. Cause I, I, I was at one point I go, cause by the way, this is a very tight movie. It's, it's like yeah, 96, a tight minutes. 97, it's a tight 97. And I'm watching, I go, when is William Hurt popping up? Because, like, I know he's in this. It's one of those movies. We've talked about long. I was just listening when we uh, reposted our um, Nancy Myers episode mm-hmm. uh, while we were on hiatus. And, and we talked about how her movies are long but feel short. Yep. And that's very that's a very impressive thing to pull off. But, like, when I put this movie on, and honestly, because I had it on my Plex, uh, I put it on and it said like 97 minutes and I was like, Oh God, does, does my, like when, when I like added it from, from my DVD onto Plex, didn't the whole file not come over? Cause like, yeah. <laughs> that's happened to me before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, I, I remember all this stuff happening in this movie. There's no way it happens in 97 minutes, but, yeah. uh, it, but does. it does. <laughs> so with the cast, the plan had always been to shoot Canada for the U S uh, that's, that's, that's definitely David that's Cronenberg's way. <laughs> he, he has very proudly has said he's never shot an inch of film in, in the United States. Well, I thought he, did he not shoot maps to the stars? Oh, you know what? That interview might've been pre maps to yeah, the stars. Yeah. But I, I feel, I feel like he only did it like that one. They might've just maybe. sent a splinter unit. Down there. <laughs> he could have, but I think it was like that in Cosmopolis. Maybe. I think they did Cosmopolis and China. That was that Toronto. I, I feel like yeah, I feel like that's the only one he actually shot, and it was Maps to Stars. Oh no, there were okay, there was some shooting in in L.A., but a lot of it was still in Canada. I was about to say that was <laughs> probably just plates. He probably didn't. Yeah. Come. Uh, but the plan for what parts of America the film would be set in had to change as the cast signed on. The graphic novel and the original script called for Joey and his former associates to be members of the Italian mafia, and for the climax of the film to take place in New York. But after they uh, settled the cast with Viggo Mortensen, Ed Harris, and William Hurt, Cronenberg didn't think he'd be able to sell any of these men as the Italian-American mafia members. So he went back and changed all the surnames in the script uh, to instead place them in the Irish mob and changed the location to Philadelphia, where Irish organized crime was more prominent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great attention to detail on the part of David Cronenberg. I can't say Peter Farrelly was as bothered 15 years later when he cast Viggo Mortensen as a Italian mafia member <laughs> in Green But luckily for the cast, actress Maria Bello, who had been cast as Tom's wife, Edie, was from Philadelphia, and she brought her father and uncle to set to help everyone work on their uh, oh, Pennsylvania yeah. accents. And that, because that's a tough accent. But that was the big thing with the with Winslet and East Town, where it was like, oh yeah, well they didn't do a Delco accent. Okay, that's a very different. That's that's okay. the uh, 
that's that's you you would know more than i would yes yes, I would yes, yes i've got i've got in-laws from delco that's a, that is a that's uh kate winslet very famously said it was the most difficult accent she's ever attempted mm-hmm. so they started shooting let's let's get some favorite scenes it's a 97 minute movie we ought to be able to knock out a couple of favorite yeah, scenes. it's a quick one I, I, so we'll go through this um the opening of the movie again it's interesting when, when looking at the Amer- the American ideals, the American dream, the pit, white picket fence or whatever in the house and the in the country with small town like vibes or whatever, Cronenberg does a good job of establishing, I think both worlds the that world of the small town vibe, but the like the traveling ro- like the the robbers and, and mm-hmm. killers of of how closely tied they could be. Is that even in a small town, there's always something that could be hiding beneath the surface or on on approach in some mm-hmm. way. But what it does yeah. a good job job at is setting up that ideal life for Viggo Mortensen's character for mm-hmm. for for Tom Stahl. It's he's in a good marriage. This is the one thing else too with this genre is that usually these movies have some sort of screwed up marriage at some point. Mm-hmm. Like it's like like the job, the mob life or whatever is going to tear some people apart. Again, very prominent in this movie. But the opening it, it Howard Shore's score too in the, in this whole opening. Mm-hmm. I wrote I was like this feels like Field of Dreams. And like mm-hmm. like something very Americana and that's what's so odd. This is why you know it's David Cronenberg during the sex scene between them and that score <laughs> that score is still playing and I'm like this is like Hoosiers but we're watching a very like kind of gr- not graphic, but it's very very it like is, it is David Cronenberg doing vanilla married couple sex, which is yes. a very distinctive thing. Yes, and again, it's going to contrast with what we're going to see later mm-hmm. uh, on the stairs. Like it, it's very, and you're just like this, and so yeah, but it's like the it's a, the very like midwestern like inspirational soundtrack when they're like cosplaying as high schoolers basically yeah there's the, the moment when like uh vigo mortensen and like has her underwear and spinning yeah. is like rah rah, rah. Sis, boom pop. like this is so <laughs> cheesy but it's, it's meant to be that way yes and then a minute immediately after that is when everything kind of starts to falter yeah, yeah. But yeah, that first the first shot. There's a couple of there's a couple of really interesting camera work things yes. in here. But yeah, that first like one or uh, outside this kind of American hotel, like very like roadside Route 66 style uh, motel, and you hold outside for a, for a long time, and then you get you know you immediately get a bad feeling from these guys. Like yes. you're meant to. But then the guy comes out and he's like, "Hey, yeah, I had had some problems checking out." And then that that cut to the guy going in, and then you're like, "Oh, this is a Cronenberg movie." Like, yeah, you know, that is that is the, probably the most horror moment in this movie is like in the first five minutes. Yeah, and, and what's what's so interesting again? It's like it's these characters come into play later, but they're really they're not main characters. Mm-hmm. They're only in like two scenes, three scenes, basically. Um, but they have such an impact early on. It reminds me, it's it's a better version. I don't know if I want to say this or not. It's a better version than the than the uh those that wish me dead or whatever, the Angelina Jolie movie. Did mm. you ever watch that? I it did starts not. off it starts off with a very similar, like two kind of like mob guys or whatever coming out of the house after they've kind of like killed some people or whatever. This is a kind of a better version of that because it 
it's it's done so like oh we're like we're on a road trip but we're killing people like stop by stop and Mm -hmm. and 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 the thing is what's so again this is kind of the cronenberg aspect of it it's never fully explained who these people are Mm -mm. they just go from town to town i guess rob people and kill people it's like they're psychopaths it's like it's Mm -hmm. again it's that thing of what i'm saying is that it's always there's something underneath hiding beneath the surface that could come at any point no matter where you are Mm -hmm. because that's again the history of violence that's kind of like tied into america america basically yeah there's something there's something there you know i think it's funny when you talk about kind of like ed gein and how many movies have spawned off of ed gein that the other kind of american story that you that has just like ingrained itself specifically in filmmaking is the um uh, I can't even remember their names right now, but the Badlands, the, oh, yeah, the yeah. Terrence Malick film, which is a his his movie Badlands is a is an adaptation of the true story. Charles Charles Starkweather. OK, yeah. Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit. Um, yeah. But I mean, then, then you get, you know, that's natural born killers. That's like uh, all these all these movies have been inspired by this, you know, uh, uh uh, Tarantino's done it a couple of times. This like team, like this duo of people driving across the country and just killing people for no yeah. reason. Yeah, a couple on the run is usually what it is. It's usually like a man and a woman, but a couple on the run type story. Just kind of killing, killing indiscriminately. Um, yeah, and that's here. I, I think it's the way he does that first scene too, because you have the younger guy. You know, the I think the older guy looks a little rougher. He looks a little scarier. And so when the younger guy goes in and sees these people that he's killed, it's kind of like, oh, well, you're like, is this guy just going along with it? You know, is he the is he the nicer one? And then the little yep. girl comes out and he, and he shoots her and you're like, oh, that's that's where we're not, going with this. Yeah, not the nicer one. Um, another thing talking about camera work real quick. There's one shot that I was just like when they're introing the baseball scene with the son they mm-hmm. crane down. He's out in the outfield mm-hmm. and they crane down from like way overhead, like into him. And I was like, did they, did they have a crane on set that day just for this shot? <laughs> and then I watched the rest of the scene and they never, they don't ever go back to that crane again. And that's just to like, I don't I, I guess it's just how much filmmaking's changed in like the last 20 years is like, I can't imagine anyone doing that shot today. Just like, we're only gonna use it one time. Yeah, I just feel like I just feel yeah. like craning in on him. It's it's not like an action shot. It's not he's not the whole point is he's he's not very good at baseball. Like he's just out in the out in the outfield and we're just gonna crane into him on this on this one shot right here. That 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 would be like a that would now just be like a drone, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Be, it would be just a drone. Yeah. But I, I, like you said, I like all the setting up of of kind of small town America. Yeah. I really love the that first scene in the diner. You know, mm-hmm. when they're joking about uh, who's the craziest chick you've ever dated. And, and he's like, oh, I've never dated anybody crazy. I'm just a yeah. normal, normal guy that works normal in this diner in the Midwest. And the guy's like, well, I had one that would just that would that would like beat me up in the middle of my sleep. What'd you do with her? Well, I married her. <laughs> Only lasted six years, though. Um, But I, I kind of wrote down where I was like, it's like you're building up his ideal life before you tear it apart. Mm hmm um and it's all gonna come back around as we get to the end of it but like yeah it's very much building this ideal life before tearing it apart and then you have the robbery mm-hmm. which is like again it's it's show again this whole movie too is that brutality can happen at any moment mm-hmm. and it can happen fast it happens fast 
and it and it hurts <laughs> like yeah. like uh and it's graphic and that's what happens in that robbery where it's like these guys just come in like wanting to wreck havoc basically and then all of a sudden it's just like bam 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 okay they're both dead <laughs> like mm-hmm. very quickly um and no one and you don't know what hit hit you and 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 then again it's like we don't fully know yet this vegan like what what tom is who tom is we're like that was that was odd like the yeah. idea of like that was it's not, very heroic quick thinking yeah very very heroic like he is able to just like smash the coffee pot and then pull a gun very quickly um but yeah it's just it's wild how quickly that happened basically and it's such a distinctive violence in the way that i i can't the way cronenberg does it is so unique in that it is not it is graphic but it's not gratuitous you know it's not tarantino there's not squibs all over the place there's not blood spurting everywhere but there is like there is prosthetics there is there is very impressive like physical like we see the physical effects of this violence yeah but it's, like the, it, it's the, not like the, exaggerated the, 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 yeah the, yeah the, your cheek that's like bleeding out oh man yeah yeah it's not graphic to the point of you know i think a lot of people have said with tarantino is and that's mm-hmm. kind of the point is he he makes it so gratuitous to the point where it becomes comedic or comedic, it becomes yes and he's you know he, he borrowed that a lot from the the japanese style films where the blood just sprays and sprays and sprays and it becomes yeah. something you know poetic or you know just purely cinematic or artistic uh and and here it is just it's just blunt it is yeah. it's yeah. like yeah that's probably what it would look like if that guy got shot through the cheek like yeah with a gun that's it period yeah and then and then you get kind of the sequence with you get ed harris showing up uh joey yeah. can you get me joey. some coffee joey some joey uh he's great just such a such a great presence in the menacing presence in this movie um, with, the, with the eye and everything it's yeah. like a great image I really think I think one of the best sequences in this movie and it and it shows, you know, Cronenberg coming from a place of horror too is when the daughter disappears in the mall. Yep. Yep. And and she goes and you know you saw you've seen Ed Harris's car pull up in the parking lot behind him, you know he's there. And yeah. then the payoff of it's just so creepy of him just sitting there. Don't right forget your shoes. Her. Whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he just a- just he just points at her. He's yeah. like, Oh, there, she's right there. There she is. And and he and she's like, I want you to stay away from my like stay away from my family, blah blah blah. Like if you come near, I'm gonna call the cops. It's just like, okay, like what? he's like he doesn't say it, but it's almost like, what are they gonna do? Like Yeah. Look at me. But yeah, it's it, yeah, that's that scene's great. And yeah, the way he's like, Don't forget your shoes in the very like high pitched, like it's Ed Harris, someone who could be so who can be so subtle and yet so like also big. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you could see if this movie was made 15 20 years earlier ed harris could be tom you know he, he could yeah. be like small town every man very easily um i agree i agree and, but he can also be the the mafia hitman yeah <laughs> the scary mafia hitman he, he can be the cat the black the black cat the the black hat cowboy in westworld or whatever like mm-hmm. it's he could be that but then he can be apollo 13 like like uh heroic like you're saying mm-hmm. he could be heroic or he could be villainous uh Someone that we talked about Truman Show, like someone who like hasn't really 
gotten his due over the years it feels like it's like he had a big run in the late 90s early 2000s with Truman Show and movies like this but then like now appears and stuff but never gets I think praised the way he should mm-hmm. um over the years but yeah but that scene's great I also talk about the paranoia uh around that same section is when like they show up and pass the diner and Vigo's like oh my god they're coming to you like get the shotgun yeah. like is it now it's like they're 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 literally haunting him and like he he's constantly having to watch over his shoulder mm-hmm. um of what's what's going to happen and then when they get to the big kind of showdown uh outside the house again talk about the shot selection and, and the kind of the odd the interesting shots of Cronenberg the close-ups he does are mm. really interesting like they're really like I, I thought they're like, like a wide angle lens in tight and it has this very like unnerving feeling behind it mm-hmm. and he always he tends to use it in these like confrontation scenes in this movie and it's just it it creates this odd feeling um and yeah and then you have this again quick shots of violence like mm-hmm. everyone starts getting like the the when he starts like punching the dude's nose in yeah it, oh, it's man. brutal brutal and graphic yeah yeah and, and visceral very real Vis- like that's visceral, that's yeah. how this that's that's how this would play out um but yeah it's a great scene and then it's and then it sets up you know one of the there's a lot of questions here obviously about the nature of violence and and it's been quite you know there's been this idea brewing with his son who's been bullied at school and and deciding to respond with violence after he's seen his dad you know even though it's yeah you know it's this everything that happened at the diner was labeled as self-defense and he's a hero and then it's like oh okay well i'm going to use violence to solve my problems at school and it's this this violent nature and so then his son being the one to save him to pick up the shotgun and and uh and kill at harris is is like oh you know if i've kept this is it in his blood like is it that's the question that's the question i was gonna ask is it's the idea of like is it learned or inherited? Mm-hmm. Like, is it gene- like is it nature versus nurture type discussion? Mm-hmm. Is this taught or is it just part of you? Yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting question <laughs> to ask. That again, talk about. I've told this before of like how sometimes people from other countries can have a more uh, unique perspective and authentic perspective of America and American ideals and and kind of situations and and that's kind of apparent here with Cronenberg um where it's like yeah is it is it is it nature versus nurture is it learned or is it inherited um and And this is where yeah this is where it goes back to you know something like the ending of Goodfellas or you know you've got with Henry Hill it's like he very obviously never wanted to escape that kind of life he was forced to but but here you know, with with Tom, with Joey, he's desperately trying to escape that life, and and he can't because this violence yeah. is pervasive. It is now, it is a part of his DNA. It's a part of his bloodline now because it was a life that he chose at some point. Yeah, because again, like no matter if you're in it, there's really no getting out of it. No matter mm-hmm. how hard you try or how long you're gone, it's always going to come back in some way. It's going to rear its ugly head. Um, and then we get to the scene where he's in the hospital. Which I think is a great scene with Maria Bello because Vigo does it in almost we've been building this moment of like 
they're just crazy. He's not like, he's not the guy. Like he's a regular, like Midwestern guy. And the way he almost nonchalantly reveals that it's him mm-hmm. when he's just like, he, when he almost like he, he, it feels like he's, he's trying to describe Joey and Tom as two different people. Yeah. Yeah. Joey's, Joey's dead. Someone else. Joey's been Joey's dead, dead. He's, but he's back yeah. now. He's haunting me. He goes, no, Tom's the one that killed those people, Joe. And then that's just kind of like, and then Maria Bello, I think, has a very natural reaction is that like she goes, she starts throwing up in the bathroom. Well, because it's basically like all these emotions are, are hitting her, not just that like her whole marriage is a lie, which is what she's going into. And like the family, like our last name, our last name means nothing. It's mm-hmm. not even who we are. It's not who you are. It's not who we are. Like our kids are born, born off this lie. Um, and not even having to deal with the fact of the idea that he killed so many different people. Mm-hmm. It's the like this, this, that we created something that's based off this, that's, that's false yeah. person. And it, and in the past weeks, it's become not even like a lie of omission. It's become an outright, like we've asked you multiple times, are you Joey? Yeah. And you said no, like it is completely, al- it has completely altered their relationship. Yeah. And that's the idea of going back with that original, that vanilla sex scene where like (laughs) it's building up his ideal. It's like they're when they're driving the car and she's like, oh, Jack's with some friends and Sarah's being watched by this person. So we have the night to ourselves. Um, And then we, we get that scene. And then we get to the scene when like she now knows who he is. The sheriff shows up and like, hey, these things aren't like meshing. Like, how did why are these guys here? <laughs> like these guys are not dumb. They don't come here for nothing. And then mm-hmm. she's like, she basically lies. Um, and it's just like, Oh no, like he's who he, he says he is. Like, they're just they're like, don't ruin our family. And then you just have this very like violent sex scene between them mm-hmm. where it's like, it's a, it's a complete, it's a complete one eighty from what we've seen before it's on the stairs it's hard it's rough like the music's changed as well where it almost feels kind of like a horror film Mm -hmm. with what they're doing and it's the whole dynamic of their world has changed yeah and like joey joey's come out we'll talk more about kind of the making specifically of that scene uh, scene. in, in on set life but like cronenberg says that's the most important scene in this movie I agree. And we, we can talk about his, kind of his reasons why later on, too. But, um, but yeah, it, 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 it is a way, you know, with with the it is violence is continuing, continuing to seep into every aspect of, of his life and of their life. Yeah. And, and it is a very violent it's it's passionate, but violent. And it is completely different from that first scene. And, and also, you know, you got to note that that first scene, the whole kind of setup for their them like doing this role play is like i never knew you as a teenager and so yeah. let's let's role play you know you're the high school quarterback and i'm the cheerleader and it's like no he, he, he now it was I know more it was more was like that stairs it was the stairs thing <laughs> yeah when he was a teenager he was killing people like yeah and like and then and they show the shot later of like she has like bruises all over her back from mm-hmm. like the 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 roughness of it all um but it's it's where it's kind of where you could argue the transition happens where like you fully see Joey come mm-hmm. out and, and like, and his realization of, I, I need to, I need to embrace Joey for a little bit. If, if only to clear the way for to Tom. End this. Yeah. To yeah. Tom to actually have a life is that 
I can't get I can't get rid of Joey by just pretending he's not there because not everyone else is going to pretend he's not there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for one, I love the the phone the brief phone call. And William Hurt calls him, "Hey, Brohim or whatever," <laughs> and he's just like, and it's, it's such a great such a great intro for that character with the voice of it. But when you get to him at the bar in Philly, and he just goes, "Yeah, I'm Joey." And his voice changes. Like he changes his voice where all of a sudden this accent comes out. That you're like, wait, has he been, is this a put on or has he been like hiding his yeah. real voice the entire time? Cause it's subtle. It's, it's not, but it's like, it's a change in his voice and his accent when he starts, when he starts being Joey. Mm-hmm. And then you get, you get the, you get the, they're, they're in the, ca- or in the Escalade. He's like, well, once finish your beer, we'll go in the Escalade to, to see your brother or whatever. But you have this like sense of foreboding when you're getting the feeling like you're, you don't know what you're walking into, but there's something, it's like there's a monster around the corner is what mm-hmm. it feels like. And then we get to William Hurt showing up and, and basically a three scene role and, just has this like it's a it's a it's a good performance from her because it's such an odd role it's like it's menacing but warm in a weird way at the beginning Mm -hmm. um where he's like embracing his brother and then all of a sudden it's like (laughs) he's gonna kill his brother like the great when, when he's like when he like looks at the guy behind vigo and then just like turns in his chair like I'm gonna like, yeah. You gotta do me one more favor. You gotta die. Yeah, you gotta die. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and then and then and then Vigo turns on them and, and basically kills the starts killing them all off. Oh the god! Cat. When he stomps on that guy's throat. Oh god! Oh man! Talk about uh, I I literally did that. I like oh man! But this I love hurt. He's just like, how do you fuck this up? <laughs> And then the, and then the other guy this? comes running in. He's like, did you see my brother out there? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like very much. He's just kind of like, I'm surrounded by by dumbasses is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, again, just the, the comedic beats of it. Uh, when like then like he he's looking out the door and the door is open and Hurt walks out and the door just like shuts. And Hurt's just like, huh. And then he hears the like shot and stuff in there. And then he's like. Going for his keys to mm-hmm. open the door. Um, and then Vigo kills him. And it's the like, ah, oh, Jesus, Joey. And then shoots him. Ah, oh, geez, Richie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then it, it, it's the, the ending is, is, again, talk about the idea of brutal violence happening so quick. The ending is quick. Like that yeah. whole section is like so quick yeah it's it's not some which which i'm sure when when mortensen said you know he had problems with the original scripted ending i'm sure that that even though it seems olsen i think you know clued in more to the meaning of the film than than the the original graphic novel did i'm sure he still felt like he needed to to deliver some sort of like climactic action scene and i would not call this an action scene and and Cronenberg Cronenberg actually made the decision. Howard Shore composed a piece for this scene and, and Cronenberg was like, no, we're not putting music behind it. I don't want it to be exciting. Yeah, it is. It is necessary. It has to happen to Mm -hmm. end the story, to close out this chapter of, of Joey's life, but it's not, you you shouldn't feel excited. You shouldn't feel anticipation. It is, it is, 
just a necessary evil. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like he had that scene, and then right after, which I was thinking about now, is like he's he's by the lake or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much like a cleansing. He's not diving in the the water or whatever, but it's very much this is him cleansing himself of Joey is what it yeah. feels like. This is but, done, and now I have to go back and see mm-hmm. if my family will take Tom back. Yeah, and it goes back. To, and again, the dinner table to me is like it, it's the secrets the secrets we live with for happiness. Mm-hmm. is that they know what's happened but he's in a way protected their family from it becoming worse and it's the subtle like there's they're all sitting there doing the food together and then he shows up and they all like slowly go get his plate and get his food and they all sit not really saying anything just like okay that's that's been done like this is we live with this now we've <laughs> yeah. we've lived through it to be happy, we have to let this secret be buried, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of the All movie. Right. Anything else you want to say, Thomas? That's it. How about that kid from Alley Cat Strike? Am I right? You know, from Disney Channel. Is that is that who that is? The 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 oh no the um the bully is the kid from oh, Alley Cat okay. Strike. I do like that. I, I do like that scene when he like goes to like flip off the two killers and then he gets spooked, spooked by him. The guy's like, "Who's yeah. that?" He's like, "I don't want to know." <laughs> all right well, let's get some on set life all right film shot in millbrook millbrook ontario uh so the fictional the name for the fictional town of millbrook indiana was invented so that they didn't have to change a lot of the local signage um mm-hmm. cronenberg notes it was one of his easier shoots working with many of his regular collaborators like dp peter suchitsky and Mm. production designer carol spear who we talked about at length in our uh cronenberg body horror series Mm. she was with him through most of his early work while much of his work in the 1990s were bigger productions a history of violence was more like cronenberg's earlier films it was dialed back with a smaller Mm. cast only a few locations and much of his trademark prosthetic work uh the the work here was was much less than those earlier mm-hmm. films called for you know he's not he's not doing head explosions or anything uh from that earlier stuff that he kind of put together on his own mm-hmm. and on the note of violence cronenberg knew what was expected of him and he was very conscious of avoiding or glorifying or glamoring glamorizing violence at all during the production of the film mm-hmm. there's one uh interview he gave uh on on the release of the film when the interviewer praises the beauty of the fight choreography in the movie and he says no i'm gonna put a (laughs) stop to that right now there actually was no fight choreography uh in this film he said he wanted the violence to be brutally realistic so he just rented a few tapes on how to kill with your bare hands and he mapped the film fights out from there uh, while wow, there were still wow. obviously stunt, there were stunt coordinators, there were stunt doubles on set. He said he didn't want anything to resemble the dance of movie violence, mm-hmm. and he also made the choice. Uh, you know, he didn't want anything, any kind of slow motion or manipulating the speed of the film through post editing to make the violence feel Hollywood esque at all. He just wanted yeah. it to play out very as realistically as possible on screen. Speaking of stunt coordinating, the film stunt coordinator John Stoneham Jr. has said that one of the hardest scenes he's had to pull off in his career was the stair sex scene between Edie and and Tom. Cronenberg. It's a stunt scene, basically, yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg had asked Stoneham to find the best way to pad the stairs so neither of the actors would be harmed in the filming of the scene. And he said they padded everything as best as possible, but it was just the way it was filmed. 
there was no real way to completely make the stairs completely soft and uh bella and mortensen both ended up covered in bruises and in the when they shot the scene showing the bruises on edie's back they actually makeup had to come in and remove some of her real (laughs) bruises because she was so banged up from shooting that scene Mm. but like i said cronenberg notes it as one of the most important scenes in the film as he said he had to achieve a balance between with edie had to achieve a balance between attraction and disgust Mm. he said without this important note there is no possibility for edie to take tom back at the end of the film uh, they spent days mapping out the scene and beats to convey the fact that Edie can be, you know, disgusted with Joey, but also attracted to him in some sense, yeah. as well as being disgusted with Tom for lying to her, but also, you know, still feeling her love her for him. Yeah. 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 Uh, editing for the film only took three weeks total, according to Cronenberg. <laughs> Uh, the only major change from the shoot script being the cutting of a nightmare sequence where Tom shoots Fogarty, but then an undead Fogarty, uh, kind of sits up with his chest blown open and is able to shoot Tom back. It it. was, uh, it was the only real, you know, quote unquote Cronenbergian scene in the film. And there's actually behind the scenes footage of Viggo Mortensen joking on set that like, Hey, maybe Fogarty can reach into his chest cavity and pull his (laughs) pistol out like Videodrome. And and Cronenberg's like on the set, like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And I think you can kind of see him in real time be like, you know what? I think I might cut this. (laughs) Cause it it is the only kind of, you can, you can see it's called, it's on YouTube as like history of violence scene 44. Mm -hmm. Um, it was on the DVD, but it is, it is the only unrealistic violence in the film. And it, Mm -hmm. and yes, it is a dream sequence, but it's still kind of striking when you see the way the rest of the film plays out to, to see that's kind of, they've got, yeah, they've got these prosthetics on Harris's chest is open. His ribs are sticking out and it, and it doesn't, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So moving on to Aftermath, uh, History of Violence premiered at Cannes in 2005, mm-hmm. competed for the Palme d'Or, ultimately losing to L'Enfant by the Dardenne brothers. Oh. Can't say I've seen that one. Uh, but New Line Cinema acquired the film for distribution and started it with a limited release to 14 theaters on September 23rd. After it turned up a decent half million dollars over 14 theaters on opening weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the film went wild and se- uh, went wild. The film went, went wild, wide, on, baby. The film went wide on September 30th and ultimately grossed uh, 61.4 million dollars worldwide, uh, which made it Cronenberg's most su- fi- financially successful film. Really? Yeah, on a 32 million dollar budget. Mm. The film was also a critical success with many calling it a return to form for Cronenberg and a promising new direction for Mortensen's career. Uh, Peter Travers gave it four stars, saying that Cronenberg was at the top of his form, while Roger Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, saying a history of violence seems deceptively straightforward, coming from a director with Cronenberg's quirky complexity. But think again. This is not a movie about plot, but about character. It is about how people turn out the way they do and about whether the world sometimes functions like a fool's paradise. That's one of his favorite lines I've heard him say. Multiple, it's not about plot. It's about character. Yeah. That's well, a true. big one he, he uses a lot. The film was recognized with two Oscar nominations that year. One for best adapted screenplay for John Olson's script, which lost to uh, Larry McMurtry's adaptation for Brokeback Mountain. Okay. And Best Supporting Actor for William Hurt, who lost to George Clooney for Syriana. 
In the years since, respect for the film has only grown, especially in retrospect, as it has launched one of the more interesting director-acting pairings, I think, of the modern age. Yeah. Uh, Cronenberg and Mortensen have now done four movies together. Their next film, Eastern Promises in 27, was not as financially successful as History of Violence, but a lot of people consider it the the best of their of their collaborations yeah uh and they went on to make brandon's favorite uh a dangerous Dangerous method method. in 2011 (laughs) and then uh crimes of the future in 2021 which was a unique kind of entry i feel like because it was vigo mortensen doing a cronenberg body horror traditional yeah uh cronenberg body horror film and and cronenberg takes the name from his like first like Mm mm-hmm Technically, like, like it was, it was like, he, he didn't say it's his first movie technically, but it was like kind of his first big art film, like feature length. That I was talking to him last night. I was like, well, I mean, Crimes of the Future is a really good title. So like, he didn't mm-hmm. want to like let it go to waste with that like movie that he kind of doesn't claim really. <laughs> so he wants to use that again. Uh, but Mortensen has called A History of Violence his favorite film of his career, saying it's as close to perfect mm-hmm. as he's gotten. The film was listed as one of the 100 greatest films since 2000 in an international critics poll in 2015. Oh, wow. And the Cahir du Cinema ranked it as number five on their 10 best of the 2000s list. Really? Yeah. Which I have pulled up. Let's let's do it. All right. Yeah, what's the 10? Yeah, what's the 10? So number 10 is 10 by Abbas Kurostami. Okay. Uh, nine is Terrence Malick's New World. Interesting. Uh, I like I like this because it's in French. Number eight is La Guerre des Mondes by Steven Spielberg. Uh, War of the Worlds. <laughs> okay, I don't know about this list now. This? <laughs> uh, number seven is uh, I don't know I don't know how this one translates to a a loose a lude rail by Wang Bing. Uh, it's it translates to Tai Zi Chu West of the Tracks. It was a documentary from two thousand two. Interesting. Uh, Number six is La Grain at Les Moulettes by Abdelatif Kashish. Uh, number five is A History of Violence by David Cronenberg. <laughs> uh, number four, The Host, Bong Joon-ho. Okay. Uh, number three, Tropical Malady by Apichak Pong Wirasetakul. Yeah. Uh, number two is Elephant by Gus Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. And number one is David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. That's an interesting list. I don't know if I've ever heard a list like that before. I don't know if I ever will. That's like, hey, like I the, the, cinema. They, like got the top, the, they got the pedigree, man. The top five I kind of get because that that seems like a lot of those. But but where the world sliding in there is just a weird, a weird, <laughs> a weird choice. Like I don't know if that's even Spielberg's like top two of that top three of that decade. Yeah, no children of men. Yeah. What's going on there? What's going on over there, Kai Dusan, right now? Weird list, weird list. But but hey, but all, but I but I, I mean I I haven't seen War of the Worlds in a long time. I didn't really love it. But from what I know about the other films that I haven't mm-hmm. seen, it's still like very like like people really love those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what works here in a history of violence, Brandon? Um. I mean, the the cast is great. The directions, I think, fantastic. Cronenberg, uh, again, he has this. No matter what movie or genre, he can make you feel unsettled in some way. But again, like I said, how he how the script and also how he as a director analyzes the the American ideals and kind of shows you the underbelly of 
what could happen even in the smallest of towns um mm-hmm. and how it's interesting like it reminds me a little bit of, of like like a cape fear type thing where it's like um how with the original how like you're turning a a, a regular man violent basically like mm-hmm. the pl- playing off that ideal of like is it is it again is it inherent or do you learn it do you is it always something you have with you um and to, as an american in some way because it's mm-hmm. been it's been it's it's bred into you um but yeah i think all that's fascinating and kind of how he he does his version of a crime drama uh which i find fascinating what about you what are your thoughts on that yeah i think <clears throat> i think only someone like it, it's such an interesting entry in his filmography in that it it he's it's like he's holding back on purpose you know it's like we know mm. that he can do over the top violence we know that he can he can get weird with it we know he can make it uh he can make it kinkier if he wants yeah. to like he's he's done all of these things uh and and it is it is so much and he can make it longer if he wanted to like yeah. the runtime every the the violence the the uh editing like everything feels so controlled and in in a fantastic way it's it's like i know exactly what type of movie i want to deliver to you i know i also know exactly what type of movie you're expecting me to deliver and i'm not yeah going to give that to you yeah you said something early on about how like it's it's a it's a statement of like cronenberg examining his own filmography mm-hmm. which is actually kind of fascinating to think about i never thought about that until you said it with this movie because it is kind of like say it's like him trying to push a new direction in some way as a director, but then he still still goes back to like the violence of it all and, and the, the sex, the sexual nature of it all and, and, mm-hmm. and how that kind of is inherent in all these and who, and in, in, in anyone, basically the violence and the sex and the, and the darkness that's there, that's always present somewhere. But it, it's look, and I, I kind of made like, I, I wrote like, are his movies like that type where you're seeing someone like, go, like, like go into that, like evolve into that. If it's, if it's James Woods and Videodrome or whatever, it's like this evolution of man in an odd way of what they can become mm-hmm. when pressed. I don't know. Man, that means nothing. Maybe I'm saying words, but, but yeah, that was something that, that's there that like, it feels like him commenting on like, He's transitioning to a new period, but there's still portions of him that he'll never get rid of because it's like inherent in his genes, basically, as as David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, you know, and we can talk about it more when we get into kind of the final questions. But but in making this uh, a crime film, a mafia film, but with all the restraint here and being like, I'm going to show you all of the the fallout of this life and none of the. None of the extravagant lifestyle yeah, of it all. I'm not going to glamorize it at all. And like, it, don't even, they don't even talk about it. it. Like, yeah. it doesn't seem it, like you're not, Joey's like, yeah, I was living in the, I was living in the best world with all the ladies and all the money. It's just like, yeah, he could really kill. That's basically yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, he, that's what that's what really with kill. you. You know, after yeah. all these years removed yeah. from it, and and you know, when he sees Richie, it's like that's all they're talking about is the people, the people that they killed, or the yeah. you know the, the things that went wrong. They're not gonna sit yeah. back and be like, man, we sure had some good times spending all that money, smoking some Cubans on the <laughs> yacht, baby. None of that. Uh, so does anything not work? I don't really have anything for this, honestly. What are your thoughts on what what did not work? I don't. I don't love. I don't. I don't like to. I don't like to call people out 
uh, mm. specifically, but um, I and this is that this is the this is the, you know it's 2005. This is the era of of Dawson's Creek and and uh, you call it the the guy the kid. Yeah, he I just don't buy him as a high schooler. Ashton Holmes, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Ashton Holmes. That jawline on a high schooler, no way. How old do you think he was? Actually, no. I have this. I have this down okay. in my trivia. <laughs> How old do you think he was? I just looked it up. Sorry. Oh, okay. I think it's like 27 is what it is. Like. Yeah. 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 And also the 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 girl who's playing like his friend. Oh yeah. Is is not very good. Um. That's fair. So th- those are the only scenes when they like cut away to his stuff at high school. Like I t- I, I get it's, I get it's what kind they're of going the weak, for. But. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's kind of the weaker ones of. Uh, you get what it's trying to say, but it's it's yeah. Could be All better. Right. That's enough negativity. Let's do some uh, film facts. All right. So I promised you some numbers. So William Hurt's nomination ranks him ninth in the actor with the least amount of screen time to be nominated for best supporting actor. His total screen time. You said 15 minutes. That was 15. Yeah. Eight minutes and 22 seconds. Wow. He narrowly beats out Alan Arkin for ninth place. Alan Arkin is 10th for eight minutes and 39 seconds of screen time in Argo. He's only in Argo that long. Yep. Wow. Give I, he's then he's amazing in that because he, he gets he gets the most important line out so yeah you know, that's, but like he's wow i did not realize he was on that that, that short of time wow okay um, who was who was number one who was number who's number one i got i have it pulled up let's see ned Beatty and network six minutes one scene he has like one scene and he's great in that one scene uh let's see who else do we have number four john lithgow in terms of endearment six minutes and 28 seconds of screen time in he's terms only, of endearment. wow he's so good in that movie uh, I, I think his storyline that movie I, I i think is phenomenal it might be my favorite storyline in that film honestly he's, yeah he's the, great the affair storyline yeah. it's, it's well it's just, it, I, there's the scene that movie i love when he and I, I wrote about this when we covered it for our texas month way back in the day of when she has he asked for a picture of her when they're when she's moving and they're separating the affairs over and he's just like can I get a picture of you? And she's like, well, that's fine. But like, it's my husband's thing. Like, oh, that's okay. Like, I just, I just want to remember you. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. Like it's cause they had such like a sweet, like charming time together. It's, it was just, it's like heartbreaking. It's like, oh, that's, that's, that's my memory of you. I don't have mm-hmm. Facebook. <laughs> we can't just go like stalk you on social media. It's like this, I have a picture. I can put my wallet and hide in my wallet of you. Yep. So sweet. Yeah. William Hurt was actually bumped down just last year. Judd Hirsch uh, was is, Fablemans. In, is in seventh place with eight minutes and three seconds in Fablemans. Yeah. He's only like, yeah, two scenes for him, I think, two, three scenes for him. Another quick, jumping down to supporting actress, where do you think podcast staple Beatrice Strait actually lands in the top ten of supporting actress? Is she not number one? She's not number one. Not for nomination. I think she's the not for, for, for screen time. But, yeah, this time. is this is nominations. Yeah, yeah, for screen times, just for nominations, not for wins. She's probably like at seventh. She's she's fifth. She's fifth. Okay. Is 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 uh Judy Dench one? Uh, Judy Dench is eight. Wow. Okay. So Beatrice Strait had five minutes and two seconds. Judy Dench had five minutes and thirty-two seconds. Okay. Uh, Hermione God, Hermione Badly from Room at the Top had two minutes and nineteen seconds of screen time. 
man, talk about just a uh, have like high like high volume shooter in a short amount of time. Like you said, room from the top mm-hmm. or view from the top. It says room at the top. Room at the top. Okay. Oh, 59. It's Gloria, Gloria Graham's on there at some point, right? Is she on there? Mm-mm. Top 10? Okay. Maybe she's in there more. Yeah, because the, the supporting actress is is the shortest category. The number 10 is Geraldine Page and Pope of Greenwich Village, and that's just six minutes and six wow. seconds. Wow, yeah. I, I barely remember her in that. Wow. That's wild. Two and a half minutes, basically? Uh, yeah. That's 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 incredible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of runtime, the opening shot of the film that we discussed—that's a, a one or that's a uh, mm-hmm. that runs for four and a half minutes before the first cut. Yeah. And then uh, when we were talking Ashton Holmes' age, uh, Maria Bella was only eleven years older than him when they shot this movie. Oh man! And so that means so she's like almost like right in the middle between her and like her Vigo and the kid. Yeah. <laughs> And this was 2005, very, very important transitional year. This was the last major studio motion picture to be released on VHS. I saw this. I saw this. I I knew it was a Vigo movie that was the last one. I, I thought it was Lord of the Rings, but this makes more sense. Mm-hmm. It's, kind of, it's always the random one. You're like, that one was the last one. <laughs> that one. I'm sure this one did very well. I mean, I, I had it on, on DVD. Yeah but I'm sure it did well on VHS for the people who still had a VCR. People still do. It's they're coming now, back, yeah, baby. No, it's coming they're back. Coming back. I, people buy them all the time. I'm seeing now. All right. Moving on to awards. Okay. Beatrice straight award for the actor or actress with five minutes what, and six seconds of screen time that kills it. It's going to be William Hurt. Yeah. William Hurt. <laughs> like there, that's why I was like, I was like, is he going to be supporting? And now I'm like, he's not in this movie. He's going to get Beatrice straight, I feel like. Just he's mm-hmm. going to show up and do two scenes and kill it. And he does. The 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 like the, the facial the beard that he has. <laughs> the little chin oh, strap man. thing. <laughs> it's just, he, he it's like he's so burly it feels like. It's it's he's such a good character. Such All a good right, character. the uh Annie Potts X Factor award for the supporting actor or actress that is most memorable. This is Ed Harris. Ed Harris? I, I I would throw Maria Bello in there, but but I'll give it to Ed Harris. Well, let me let me hear let me hear your argument on Maria Bello. I don't know. I think I think she's I think she's great in it. I think like it was like like Cronenberg said, I think that that stairway scene is is one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie and it contains multitudes. Um but I also love her in that that hospital scene. I'll I'll go with Maria Bello. I'll change oh. it up. I'll change it up wow. because I think I'll t- with your points with that, with the certain scenes, I like Ed Harris, but sh- her character is more integral to the po- to the, the story of of Tom and Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, so and this is when she was having a little bit of a run. Like she had the cooler in two thousand three, which she was good in. Um, it's a few years after Coyote Ugly, um, and right before. The mummy, tomb of the tomb of the dragon. Oh, no, that was the end of the hot. Of the hot right? Oh, oh, yeah, that was the end. yeah. That was that was kind of it. Sadly, she was it. Was she in Prisoners? She was his. Uh, was she uh, Hugh Jackman's wife? Yeah, I'll, I will go with Maria Bello. I'll, I'll. That's all right for those scenes alone that we talked about. Yeah, <laughs> and the Gene Hackman MVP award for the person who carries this movie. 
going into this, I was thinking Vigo. And I kind of want to lean towards Vigo on this one. Just okay. because just because of how he pulls off the transition from from Tom to Joey. Mm-hmm. Um and in doing so, pulls off the transition from Aragorn to Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, they're talking about Perry Coogan. Like he's like he's like playing like a weird freaky boy weird or whatever. Little freak boy and everything. Little freak boy, and he has to like turn into weird little freak man or whatever. And this mm-hmm. is kind of Vigo's transition into that a little bit of like, oh, he's not really a box office like like a blockbuster uh actor a list he's a list actor but he's not my box office actor and that he's not a tom cruise basically mm-hmm. but he's something very unique and different and it's yeah. exciting we, you know, we, we talk about like the leading men who like really should be character actors mm-hmm. and he kind of is in that realm of he is a leading man but he's also like a leading man character actor yeah um, yeah because i think you know i think it is like Aragorn is such a traditionally like heroic movie character. Yeah. And he's fantastic in that role, but but that's not, you know, that that is not necessarily the persona that he brings to every movie. Yeah. Um and I and I think it's interesting, I think, you know, when you look at the fallout of Lord of the Rings when they were trying to like land at like where where are all these people going to land? Like what a you know, this is one of the biggest kind of movie undertakings of all time it's a huge success it's a huge cast where we're going to put everybody and i think they were they kind of had orlando bloom and figo mortensen and they were like hey let's take the two the two hot ones and make them action stars and you know i think that leads to some to obviously more box office success for orlando bloom in the short game yeah but it has led to such an interesting career Vigo mortensen's choices specifically in doing this movie and continuing to work with with Cronenberg has led to such a more interesting career. I feel like it was the one, two punch of this one. And then when Eastern promises came out, everybody was like, Whoa, this is Whoa. like Viggo Mortensen's like an art house guy now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Side thing. Did you know Maria Bello was a store, was a writer and producer on the woman King? No. Yeah. She was, she gets story by credit on the woman King and is listed as one of the four produced top four producers on it. Huh? Did not know that. Yeah, so I was like, "Where has she been at for a while?" I know she. I, I saw she was in Beef. Yeah, and she did. She was like core cast on NCIS for a while. I think after That's Mark Harmon left. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she producer and, and writer on on the Woman King. Hmm. Anyway, sorry, but Viggo Mortensen. We're going with Viggo Mortensen for Gene All right, I'll give it to you. Okay, Cronenberg. Cronenberg. It's like it's a close one, and I want. I, I Cronenberg. I think could take it. But I think Vigo, as a as, what's the bigger transitional point? I think it's mm-hmm. bigger for Vigo. I think B- Vigo in turn needs to land it, and he yeah. does. Yeah, and, he, and I think he plays the duality well. Ebert actually says in his review, Ebert says like you'd be like you'd be forgiven if in the opening of this movie you thought that it was a Frank Capra film instead of a David Cronenberg yeah. film. Like I agree, and, and he and he plays that like he yeah. he he is the the guy working the diner. Hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah. All right. Congrats to Vigo Mortensen. All right. Hey, I I had a good time. I saw Hidalgo in theaters. I had a good time. <laughs> Omar Sharif, come on. All right. Final questions. Um, 
I don't think we can we can really land a remake for this. Who'd you put if it, if it wasn't Frank Capra? Frank Capra is a history oh, of violence. Sh- <laughs> I, 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 I did a di- I, I went a modern day. Hold on, modern day. This is, oh come on, don't make me feel old. Well, I guess it's twenty. I guess it's twenty years old. It's almost okay. twenty years old. All right, let's do it. What's the modern day? Let's hear it. I kind of want, but I think Frank. Okay, but I'll let me see if I can do the Frank Capra one on a, on a, on a whim here, and mm-hmm. I'll give you I'll give you both Frank Capra. Um, uh, with Richie, I'm going with Robert Mitchum. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I actually just this Christmas I had a discussion with my family. Uh, I there's something about Robert Mitchum's face where I like I don't like him as like a romantic lead. Like there's something. No. Villainous. I mean, I like I, I like Holiday Affair. That's that's the movie we were watching. But I was yeah. just like I can't get him as like a rom com or like a romantic lead. Like he he looks conniving there's something in his face that's I mean, like sinister i mean that that was like one of the only ones that he did because do you know why that he did that i don't know if you guys read it up it's because he got arrested for marijuana and <laughs> and they wanted to prove that he wasn't like a bad boy image and they did holiday affair and it didn't do well like, you know we actually like want him to be a bad boy like it's, <laughs> the marijuana charge is actually kind of cool um and so they went back but no i, I would say richie robert mitchum Maria, I would go for Maria Bello's character for uh, um, blanking on the character name for Ed, Edie. uh for Edie, Barbara Stanwyck. Thoughts on that I like one? It. I like it. Okay, I like Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, for for Ed Harris's character for uh Carl, um, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Who's the other bad? Is it John Wayne? <laughs> Is it Wayne or like, because I don't know of another like. I want to speak to Joey. Oh, hey, Joey. How you doing? <laughs> you, you you make a mean cup of coffee, Joey. John Wayne. I don't, right. I don't, I don't know of another one of the Capra camp that's coming to mind. Um, I feel like you have to do Jimmy Stewart as, as, as time. Like, is this the transition point of like Stuart from it's wonderful lie or like that that like 40 30s and 40 Stuart into like anthony man westerns see i Is think that you could like, do i think you could do fonda in this oh that's a better one that's a, i think fonda's better one yeah all right what you got what you got for for a modern okay. remake um okay for richie uh, I'll, I'll i'll go from richie up and give you a few picks here uh richie i have mark ruffalo Okay. Very different from Mark Ruffalo, I know. That's why I went there. <laughs> or Colin Farrell. All right. Okay. I, I kind of like the idea of Mark Ruffalo. Okay. It's different. It's different for him. And after him seeing him in Poor Things, he he has range to play something like that, I think. Not saying that's the same similar character, but he has range to play different characters. Um, For Edie, um, I have Kirsten Dunst. Love it. Always down uh, for Kirsten Dunst. I have Carrie Washington. Hmm. Uh, and then I have Tiana Paris. Oh yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen. Uh, that's on my oh, list. The, the like Tyrone. I said, I'm, I'm 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 catching up on on 2023, but sorry, Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris. I mm-hmm. mispronounced Tiana Paris. Uh, no, they they clone Tyrone is really good. They're, it's really good. Um, but Tiana Paris, so Kirsten Dunst, Tiana Paris, Carrie Washington. I also had Zoe Kravitz. Those are my four. 
Okay. Who's your top out of those four? It might be Kerry Washington, actually, but I'm, I'm that, always... She was my top choice, too. She was my top choice, too. <laughs> I'm okay. always on board with, with Kristen Dunst, but... Um, but there's something I, I there's something with Kerry Washington. I feel like the 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 descent of the character I think it's, would would be more interesting with her. She she's someone that I think she could play like small town like wife that then again becomes more like oh I'm the hitman's wife. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. oh yeah, I think she could make that transition very well. Um, for Carl, these these might be a little more like typical uh but for carl john bernthal okay yeah sam rockwell the guy from argyle really Were you doing this? <laughs> don't, do this. don't do this to me <laughs> i don't like I don't, I, don't, I don't like that he's be- that's like he's become he's become that like gosh I also thought uh, Woody here. Oh, I also thought Woody Harrelson, but I, I didn't know yeah, he might be a little bit too old. Dig dig down in his DNA. Then we'd really be talking about a history of violence and whether violence is in your DNA. Yeah, I don't know if you're uh, doing. Yeah, uh, I like John Bernthal. Okay, like, let's I go, like, John okay. Bernthal. And then for Vigo, for Vigo's character, for Tom Joey, I'll start from one. Okay, I'll start from my right to right to left. So Joel Edgerton. Okay. This is why I had Kirsten Dunst earlier. Jesse Plemons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's my pick because I think it's. I'm going to pitch him. I think he's someone that has become typecast in a specific type role. And I think this could be a better like transition point for him where it's kind of playing off that, but also shows his dramatic skills as like a like a small town guy. Mm-hmm. And that's Ben Foster. Okay. You know what I mean? Like ben Foster kind of yeah, like has I like, like ben Foster. Like he would be Carl in most movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I think he can play the other character. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, the reason why I was saying, I was, I was thinking Chris Pine. And I was like, oh no, what's the opposite? Because it's like Vigo's playing against type in a way. Who's the character you play against type? And Ben Foster's kind of the guy. I like that. Okay, Let so me, can I pitch you one more? Yeah. Playing against type? Joel Kinnaman. I like Joel Kinnaman. I would still go with probably. I mean, he has a, he has a similar look to Vigo, I will say. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking somebody that's like kind of started to carve out like an action uh, role for themselves, but is very talented otherwise. But. I think those are your top those those are your those that's your short list. That's your mm-hmm. two short list guys. And it's like if this one doesn't take it, the other one takes it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Got Mark Ruffalo. We got Kerry Washington, John Bernthal, Ben Foster, and or or or, or Joel Kinnaman. That's where we're at. Okay. All right. Does this film fit with any genres other than I've said this before, I think for, it's like like the American dream, like the darkness yeah. of the American dream type drama. Um, small town mm-hmm. movie. Would it be? Because this is kind of different. Is it a hitman movie? Because I feel like that's somewhat different than mobster movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would put that because we're the not we're, we're not following the perspective of the actual hitman that's doing yeah. the, the doing the doing the hitting. 
And I think uh, if I think if people if people were disappointed in the killer because it was it was pitched as a hitman movie and, and then i think they'd be very disappointed if you classified this one as a hitman movie that's fair that's fair yeah i mean the generic terms crime drama uh is up there but yeah um small town darkness of american dream those are the two big ones any that you think of yeah i think i think so i think that's okay. all right and so we've we've talked about it a little bit, but to summarize, how does this fit within the kind of the mob movie genre? Well, it fits into a lot of a lot of the things we said at the top of the show of like, um, the the excess the, the or the the violence that can occur within these movies. The once you're in, you're always in within the mob mafia, and how these movies can be used as like a a examination of the American dream and American ideals. With with, in term, with most of these American movies, because we're also we're going to talk about a French mobster movie next week, but uh, but this this is very much a lot of this, this genre we're looking at mostly right now is, is an examination of the American dream and kind of what's inherent in the ideals in America is that in order to may gain success, uh, there's violence that's always present for that to happen, um. And yeah, it's again, again, talk about that following up Goodfellas, like the, the idea of like the trader or the informant and how like you almost like there, there's the, once you betray the family in a way you have to get payback for that. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that's like basically trying to, uh, look at an example of when that payback could happen. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. it's all the, it's all the aftermath of of trying to leave the mob and not the like enjoying the mob life lifestyle yeah yeah and the and the breakdown of that mythos of like oh it's it's all a family it's all a part of a family and here it's mm-hmm. like like actual family real actual blood family is like mean, oh means nothing because <laughs> it's not even that like it's not even that william hurt didn't get what he wanted he did he's like well it took me more time mm-hmm. so i gotta kill you now for that i'm i'm where i want to be but it took me like two, three extra years because of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, Joey. You, you slided me. You're my brother, but you slided me. So yeah, I had to do so much because of what you did. <laughs> you used barbed wire on his eye, Joey. Like, <laughs> but yeah. All right. All right. That wraps up our, our brief history of violence. A history uh, of violence. All right. Coming coming in right right below the full runtime. So. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a little cutting in there. Yeah, there we go. Uh, tight 90 um but yeah so next week we're discussing uh david and i david picked a a french kind of mobster movie and i'm possibly going to butcher the name of this mobster movie as i say it because it's actually in french touche pas au grisby is the name of the the french mob movie i have never i had never really heard of it before uh david picked it uh it's currently streaming on canopy if you can find it uh, can't be free so go do that but that's next week um be sure to follow our patreon we have the one dollar five dollar ten dollar subscription levels so more episodes are coming uh more recommendations and stuff that we're writing about so sign up for that if you can we truly appreciate that support yeah and then that's what we have for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact the Cination podcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments and if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us 
be sure to subscribe to the Nation Podcast to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us for your preferred podcast platform. I, you know what? I, I, in theme of Mafia Month, I would probably try and come up with some vague threat to get everyone to leave a good review. But in in keeping with the history of violence, I'm going to just ask very nicely. <laughs> If if you know, it'd be it'd be really you're, swell if you guys left us uh, five stars. You're sitting at your kitchen table, eating your meatloaf on yep. your phone, just like you know what? I'm gonna give those guys a review. I'm keeping with the spirit of forgiveness of that little girl in the end of the movie, and I forgive you if you haven't given us a review yet, but but maybe you will. Yeah, we've been around for over 300 episodes now, so uh, hopefully you can find it in your heart to give us a review that helps us gain exposure and 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 be seen and discovered by more people and we like hearing what you have to say about the show uh even if it is criticism we try to get better <laughs> um so yeah but and finally don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter instagram letterbox tiktok thomas as always thank you for joining me thank you for having me and thank you all for listening we hope you listen to more episodes soon bye